becomes the new normal yeah. and you're just you know you're in the swing of it you're in the rhythm of it but starting it feels like a really mammoth task and you're like oh am i actually going to do that and definitely starting it feels like mentally was one of the most challenging things about it welcome to unexpected turns with myself Anne dibbon and liam leatheren as you just heard liam say starting is the hardest thing but then you've got to continue no matter how much it's messing with your head and body how tough is that Hi Liam, thank you very much for joining us today on Unexpected Turns Pod. Okie dokie, thanks come, for having me. Come all the way over from Belgium. Yes. Quick trip. Yeah. Can we just start by doing a little bit of background for our listeners on yourself? You could just tell us a little bit about okay. yourself so far. Okay, well um, I'm Liam, I'm 30 years old. Um, I live in Brussels in Belgium. Um, I'm an ecologist by training what I went to uni for um yeah I'm from here I'm from Hampshire in England just down the road from me yes just down the road from you that's where I grew up and uh yeah where where did you go to uni again um well I went to Sussex in Brighton first I studied anthropology at first and that's where I did my undergraduate and after finishing I stayed in Brighton for a few years I worked as a teaching assistant in a special educational needs college and, oh, I uh, bet that was tough. It, yeah, it was it was challenging, but very rewarding, and it was really good work. I really liked it. Um, uh, but then, yeah, me and my partner at the time, we went traveling for a bit, and we moved to Belgium, and I went back to uni to be trained as an ecologist because I decided I wanted to go into environmental science. So where did you do that retraining? So I studied online from. A, not via the Open University. Often when I say I studied online, people think it's the Open University. But I studied via the Centre for Alternative Technology, right. which is an eco-centre in North Wales near Machantleth, or in Machantleth, I think. Um, they're a fantastic place. They're an eco-centre. They've got loads of cool things going on there, lots of cool educational stuff, including they have a graduate school attached to them where they do postgraduate stuff. And they're validated... Half of their courses are validated by Liverpool John Moores University yeah. and the other half are validated by, I think, the University of East London. Um, I've forgotten, though. But, yeah, that's... So I, I studied through them and uh, my degree, my master's certificate is from Liverpool John Moores and technically I was a student of Liverpool John Moores. That's what it was on my student card, even though I never went within 100 miles of the place during no. my entire degree. But we can do that um, now, can't we? That's the, that's the whole beauty of technology. Yeah. We can learn from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. When you'd done that, you okay. briefly touched on there you went travelling. Yes. I've just got back from the US where I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, can, you tell, can you tell us a bit about that? Because I would love, absolutely love to do something like that. Okay. But I just don't... Well, I haven't been brave enough yet, so tell us a little bit about that. Um, okay, well, the the Appalachian Trail, a lot of people just call it AT for short. Um, it's 2,200 miles, mm. roughly 3,500 kilometres um, from just north of Atlanta in the state of Georgia. And it goes up north to Mount Katahdin in the middle of Maine. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with US geography, that, that's on the east side of the US and uh, from south to north. So Georgia is about, you know, just north of Florida. 
and uh, Maine is on the northeast, the very northeastern corner of the US, just before the Canadian border. And um, so, yeah, you go up via out of Georgia through Tennessee and North Carolina, through Virginia and Pennsylvania, and then you curve up through um, the state of New York and New Jersey and the New England states to get to Massachusetts. I mean, it must be stunning scenery. Maine, sorry, not to Massachusetts. You do go through Maine. Yeah, sorry, to get to Maine, just to the end. Yeah, very stunning scenery. Very, um, I mean, it's it's nicknamed the Green Tunnel or it's referred to as a Green Tunnel because you are, you're going over the Appalachian Mountains and the Appalachian Mountains actually stretch further than that. I've been told they stretch up into Canada and down yeah. to Mexico, but the... The Appalachian Trail through the Appalachian Mountains, yeah, you're going through these mountains and you're going through forests a lot. And so um, quite a lot of the time you're in, you know, a, a green, a, literally a green tunnel, a forest, a foresty tunnel. Um, but there's plenty of views at the same time. There's plenty of exposed areas. There's plenty of ridges you're going across and, you know, bolds, they call them bolds in the US, like where you're coming up to hills, which are just mm. grassland hills, a lot, a lot like what we have here in the UK. And you have great views a lot of people um have critiqued it for being quite samey and that's not false it is quite similar a lot of it but also very different and uh, i i think that doesn't do it justice i i, I certainly there were days which felt very similar to other days especially because it took about six months but like it was still stunning the entire time and like yeah i mean when you're out there for that long it does become quote unquote normal life and uh yeah but still so you say you were there, you did that for six months. That's a lot of miles to do in six months. Yes. And you walked all of that. Yes. With your rucksack, you carried all your own equipment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I carried everything and, um, and uh, yeah, walked all of it. Yeah. It sounds, I think saying it now, it sounds like more impressive than it actually is. Because like I, of the people that I knew on trail, I was one of the slower ones. I was, because it's a very popular trail, so a lot of people do it. So you're con you, you meet a lot of people on trail doing, doing the trail, just like you're doing. And you keep in touch with some people. And like, there are a lot of people who got out ahead of me and did it in, I knew of some people who even did it in under five months, but some Gosh. people who did it in, yeah, just a few weeks less than me. Of the people I knew, I'd say I'd probably be in like the middle, the, the, yeah, the third quartile, like the last, the end yeah, of it, the, the end of the end of the trail of people. Your of statistics there coming out the third quartile, <laughs> I love it. Um, but how many miles did you work, walk in a day then? Oh, that varied so much depending on a lot of things. Um, anywhere between, like usually, oh, now it's even hard to say. Usually, I. It depends on the weather, the terrain, and then just how you're feeling a lot of the time. If the weather's good, like when I say good, I mean not just sunny, I mean like climatic conditions are comfortable. Because there were points where it got where it was very sunny and very hot, and then that was really uncomfortable because yeah, I, I, I like sweated more than I've ever done in my life in some parts of it. Gosh. Um, but if the climatic conditions are fine and you've slept well and you're feeling physically good, and the terrain is very comfortable. There were some parts of it which were very flat and you know very comfortable wooded terrain. Other parts were very up and down, up and down, up and down. Very rocky, very uncomfortable to walk on. If the conditions are all right, you'll do more miles than if the conditions are less. You know, if you wake up and you have not slept well, and and or like you know all the like half those things could be 
half those variables could be right and half of them could not be right so if you if you wake up and you've slept not very well at all but the climate's good and the train's good you could probably still whack out a few more miles when you say few more miles how many miles would that be so like yeah to put more numbers on it i think like a good average i think to get it done in six months you need to average at about 12 miles a day yeah average that's that's a lot day in day out as you say when you're not but you when do, you're not sleeping well, when you're going uphill, yeah. downhill. But like those, are like quite often, I did sleep very well. Like that's just like, yeah, like it, you build up as well. Like you work up to doing that average because at the start you're not doing too well. Me and a lot of people knew like slow and steady wins the race is something that I was thinking about quite mm-hmm. a lot, and I wanted to start trail because it's easy to get injured, and then if you get injured that really affects your hike it can slow you down massively or in a lot of worst cases you can like have to leave the trail which is something i really didn't want to do and i really wanted to focus on you know seeing it through so i wanted to be careful and a lot of people feel that way and so i started off slowly doing like eight to ten miles a day i think on my third day or fourth day i did like 16 and then i felt really wiped out and so i was like okay no 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 like i'm not doing that again i'm gonna go back stick to the plan it can be difficult to stick to the plan because when you get there you're really really excited because you're finally here and so um yeah it's tempting to do more if you feel like you can do more um but yeah you you in a very zigzaggy non-linear fashion you build up your mileage and yeah i was working up to there are there were weeks when I would do like consistently, you know, 20 miles or 18 miles a day, sometimes do a bit more, do 25 miles. Gosh. The most miles I did in a day was 30, but I only did that a handful of times. A lot of the hike I did between 20 and 30 miles a day, but like that's in a specific area. So like the the start of the trail is very hilly georgia is quite very mountainous mm. i mean it's all mountainous but if you look at if you look at a elevation map of the entire trail or you can like quite in, in some places like the appalachian trail conservancy visitor center conservancy visit the appalachian trail conservancy visitor center um and other places similar to that they've got like a physical yeah. map of the trail where they've got the like it's like infrared map like you know where the red is the high point and the blue is you know the sort of thing i mean yeah i don't know if i'm doing a good job of experiment no but like, starts quite hard doesn't it the trail yeah. and that's that's quite difficult because that's the start when you're just getting into it so yeah did you do much training before you actually started walking and hiking because it's very different yeah, i was quite active before <laughs> so in my regular life i'm a rock climber and a runner um and then when I decided to go the trail, I focused more on the running because rock climbing's different. You know, you train different parts oh, of your body. Oh, don't tell stuff. me. My arms. I did, <laughs> I did bouldering, indoor bouldering at Parthenon for the first time. Oh, yeah. Not yesterday, on Friday. Right. And today, my arms. Mm-hmm. I was walking around by the end like T-Rex, like this. <laughs> and, you, right. and you do that. I mean, it's... Yeah, your body gets used to it. But yeah, it, it does like... Yeah, I remember the first... Like, if I... If I take a break, like going on trail, and I go back to rock climbing for the first week, it feels really weird, and my arms feel like jelly, and my wrists especially feel numb, and yeah. So like I, I, but when I decided to go to like to do the trail, I started like I kept rock climbing because I love it, but like I, I focused more on on running, and um, going out on long hikes at the weekend and and stuff like that. Um, but there's nowhere around here that you could do that. I mean, did you do that in Brussels or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Brussels. So like I, where I used to live in Brussels, was near 
in the south of Brussels, they've got a very big park called the Bois de la Combre, and that is a, the very tip of... So below Brussels, there's this massive forest called the Zonian Forest, and it goes down into Flanders and into Wallonia, actually. Yeah, yeah. And part of it pokes up into the Brussels capital, into the in the borders of Brussels. So I used to live near there. So in the mornings, I would go running, and I wouldn't be running in the streets for too long before I'd hit the park. And then I'd run through the park and then I'd run down into the forest and do a lot of running in the forest and come back. And I do that about three or four times a week. I almost got up to doing a half marathon a week, but I didn't quite get up there. But I was going out for doing doing 10Ks mm. three times a week. And or yeah, going out for a couple of hours in the morning a few times a week and did you take any backpack or anything with you so that you were building up no no i i didn't and maybe i should have i I didn't on lows but when i'd go out just on a hike like once or twice a week i'd go out on a hike and then i'd take a backpack or i'd take yeah you know wear heavy clothes or something weight yeah yeah to, to weigh it down a little bit um but hiking a trail is very particular like the like a lot of people say the only way to properly prepare for a trail is to hike the trail because yeah. the conditions under which you're doing it are, are very peculiar and particular to the trail. Yes, you can go running or you can go hiking, but like, it's the consistency of getting up every day do, from morning to night or morning to day or however long you want to hike. And the mental prep of packing up your house every day and, you know, into your bag and setting it up in, in the evening and then packing it. When you're knackered as well in the evening, yeah. Yeah, and having to carry all your food as well. And then also, because like when you're running at home, you don't have to go through packing up and putting your tent into a bag every morning and getting it out in the evening. You don't have to carry your food. You can come back to your house, have a shower, and you can eat whatever you want. And when you come back from doing exercise, you obviously want to eat. Mm. But like out on trail, you have to take stuff which balances this desire to have as little weight as possible to have things which don't weigh too much whilst also having stuff that have a lot of calories and protein and fat and so that often means taking a lot of dried foods like you know instant noodles and instant mash and beef jerky stuff that keeps outside of a fridge that you can have in the cupboard but that gets the calories and gets yeah gets the calories and the and the carbs and the fat and the protein which means you often neglect to eat stuff you really should like fruits and vegetables Mm. because they're bulky they're big they don't they often need to be kept in the fridge and they don't have that many calories so when every few days i'll end up in a town and i'm trying to eat a lot of fruit vegetables to make up for several days in a row of just eating instant noodles or instant mash and you know pepper army and yeah something like that uh, yeah but you also can't have fresh fruit because of the wildlife out there as well can't you yeah i imagine so yeah you um like you have to take all of your trash home with you mm. um so i would often like on the day when i was leaving town i'd take apples and bananas or i'd take some fruit with me but just specifically to eat on the first couple of days of that next leg in the woods but i'd have to take the cores and everything with me because yeah, you have to be careful because that stuff smells and thus wildlife. So a lot of people, you need to take your stuff in a bag. Often I like, which is for hanging your food so that yeah. bears can't get to it. A lot of people call it a bear bag. Some, this tends to just be like a standard stuff sack. Some of 
people have ones that are waterproof others don't some people put their stuff in like an odor proof ziploc bag before putting it in these bare hanging bags i didn't have an odor proof bag but it was fine i yeah i just had a bunch of ziploc bags where i put stuff in and i put it in this you know stuff sack bag and then i'd hang it from a tree but like other people there are different methods you can take you can use there's something called a bear can that a lot of people have where it's literally just this very you know robust plastic uh box yeah. or, uh, or like canister that they with, can't get in yeah. yeah which they can't get into which like has like a push down like 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 trying to get into a cough mixture bottle like, yeah that, that sort of thing um so um it takes a bit of dexterity that a bear can't or a deer can't you know did you did you have any like dangerous encounters with any wildlife at all any Um, any bears in particular i wouldn't say i had any dangerous ones but i did have a few encounters with bears yeah there were a couple where during the daytime i um i saw bears from a distance i felt very like lucky because they're there a minute and then they're gone a minute and they're trying to be really quiet because they don't want to interact with you uh there was a couple of times when I was hiking along the path and I saw in the distance a bear on the trail, just yeah, crossing the trail. Yeah. Once I saw, well, twice, I saw a mum bear with her cubs and the cubs were ridiculously cute. That was, but also incredibly nerve wracking because you'd think a mother would be more protective of her cubs. So you feel a bit more nervous when you see a bear mum with her cubs. So. One time I, I was walking along and looking at my feet and then I looked up and in the distance on either side of the trail I saw like a black mass. So there's the mum on one side of the trail looking mm-hmm. at me and then the cubs on the other also looking at me and they're clearly just crossing the road and they've stopped mid-crossing because they see me coming and then I stopped and I just froze for a second looking back at them. Um, they're about what? 10, 20 metres away out in front and I was thinking like, okay, I've been told because the, 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 the wildlife agencies and like the people responsible for keeping the trail up, like give you advice constantly about how to deal with animals. And I'm just racking my brains like, OK, what do I do now? What but, do I remember? But before I can remember, they've, you know, looked back at each other and gone off to like the covers have crossed the road and they've gone down the side of the hill. There. So like, yeah, before I had time to think, like they didn't care about me, which is good. Like I just sort of stopped and we looked at each other for a minute. And then they went off and I was like, okay, fine. Easy. What was your heart going like then? A little bit. Like, I was a little bit nervous. I bet you were hurt. Saw. Um, there was another time when I was walking through a meadow, just a grassy meadow. Um, because in a, in this part of the world, they uh, like there's lots of forests on these hills, right? And the telephone wires between towns often cross over these hills. And so on these wooded hills they have huge strips of just meadows where they've cut down trees to make way for the telephone lines, telephone yeah. lines. and so these are like wildflower meadows just in between and i was walking through one between two bits of wood and i looked out and by the telephone wire like 20 or 30 meters off to the west to the left of me it wasn't really an issue like i just saw the face of a bear looking at me and i stopped for a minute and i was like oh hello and there was a rock next to me so i climbed up on that so i just have a bit of distance and i got a better look at her and then i saw her with her cubs and they were playing and they just couldn't care less about the fact that i was there which is nice um so yeah i saw some bears like that um i think i also saw some deer as well never saw a moose um as you get up north into vermont new hampshire and maine it's it's a lot more how you might imagine you know 
Canada to be like a yeah. lot of fir trees and colder but, climate and moose, but I didn't see any moose. I mean, you don't tend to think of moose as quite scary, but they can be. They can charge, can't they? Yeah, they can. I, I heard some scary stories from other hikers who had, you know, heard from people about moose charging hikers and such and you get all this advice on how to deal with bears it's on you know signs on the campsites you stay at and stuff and you know there's a lot of public outreach education about that but like yeah i didn't ever read a sign on how to deal with a moose encounter and and stuff just luckily i didn't see one that's Um, good but it is that i mean it is the bear that's that's quite scary um you say you stayed you stayed on campsites they're just they're just basically fenced off they're still open to the to the bears aren't they so yeah there are some there are some campsites that we that i would stay at which were like a regular campsite open to the public but like um that was when you came to one of those areas sorry there was a lot of um out out in the woods in the wilderness areas when you're hiking next to trail you're allowed to just camp anywhere as long as it's designated and when i say designated it's just like a spot of a spot of level ground where there is a clearing you can just like next to the trail and you can just camp there but there's no tap or signpost or anything but like when you get to more public areas there's there's, there's least there's signposts because like, how did you yeah. manage the water then when you just going on a trail um i have um a way of filtering water from from rivers and streams and stuff so i've got like a water filter and there's like this bag you can fill up pretty easily you know um, you, you to scoop from like a brook or a stream you know holding it underneath you know pouring water and you fill up this bag and you can attach a, a water filter to it it just looks like a very thick straw basically oh, right. it's about you know a few inches long and it's it's very thick and you it's kind of tedious really you, you push with with the bag you squeeze the bag and you squeeze the water through this filter into your water bottle and it comes out kind of slowly because obviously this filter is trapping a lot of the dirt and stuff you want it to filter and obviously the longer you use your filter the more clogged it gets so yes you have to what they call back flushing a filter where like hostels or places i'd stay where they'd be running water i'd um you know they often have those big plastic syringe where you fill it and you squirt water through it the other way to try and get rid of the debris that's built up in there but nothing's perfect you never you never get it back to how it was when you first bought it no well it's very heavy isn't it the water so it's good you had that yeah but also if you know if you don't have that you end up with stomach bugs and I've heard some horrendous stories about people having all sorts of stomach bugs and yeah you do hear about uh, people getting norovirus a lot on trail and like the, the the filters are good for debris and stuff like that, but they don't filter out viruses and bacteria because they're microscopic. So people yeah. suggest you also boil your water, but I didn't really do that. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people just used filters and that gets the muck out. And you were okay? You didn't have any problems at all? I was okay. I never got neurovirus. Um, I think there was one time around mile 800 when I was in town with some friends and I, I felt a bit queasy, but I never threw up or I never had diarrhea or anything. But I think about a third of people I met, I'm just pulling that out of thin air, like a, a, a common number of people do yeah. get some sort of like, you know, you stomach bug that. or like some people get full blown norovirus and have to like take a day or two off trail and it really sucks for them. But then some people just get an upset stomach. And like there was a time when I was hiking with, or it's happened several occasions when certain friends got a bit ill and we just took a slower and easier day and we 
Interesting. When you say friends, these weren't people that you knew beforehand. You just made friends with them on the trail. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just trail friends, just people you meet out there doing the same thing as Regular you. Regular things. Yeah. Most people I met out there had both gone out on their own and they just... Like you. Yeah, like yeah. me and just made friends on, on trail. It's quite good for that. Like I say, it's an incredibly popular trail. It's a very well-known, famous trail. Mm. And thus, there's a big crowd of people. So every you're guaranteed to meet people it gets to the point where actually people do start to stress about how to get time on their own at least i did before i went i knew it was i knew i really wanted to do it but i knew it was really popular and i was worried about it being a bit too crowded and so i was doing a lot of googling and reading articles about how to handle the crowdedness of the at but when i got out there i found out that it was actually quite all right like at camp you bump into a lot of people at these designated campsites and shelters you can bump into a lot of people but like during the day when you're hiking on the trail you can get a lot of time to yourself and um, you can hike with people if you want to but it's very easy to get your own time and indeed even at shelters and campsites it can be quite easy sometimes to get time to yourself people talk about bubbles a bubble on trail is like a huge group of people mm. that you're just around because they're hiking a similar pace to you and there were times when a few days in a row I'd be at a shelter or a campsite and it would get pretty full and you'd realise, okay, I'm hiking in a bubble at the moment, but if you just hike a bit faster than those people or you hike a bit slower, you get out of the bubble again and you go back down to seeing just a handful of people. So you, and campsites. You, you personally wanted the solitude? Mm, I wanted everything because... Being out there for that long, there were days or weeks, well, maybe not weeks, but there were definitely periods where I wanted to just be on my own. There were periods where I really wanted to be around other people. It's like... What did you like about being on your own then when uh, you were doing that? Um, well, just being out in the... Uh, out in the sticks is just very lovely on your own, hearing all the sounds and feeling like you're very far away from anything else. Does really it, like do you that. find that calms your mind? Because I'm one of those people, mm. if I'm stressed, I go for a walk, only yeah. around the block, mm -hmm. but I, I'll go for a walk So, and it calms my mind. Do you find that walking in that beautiful nature, that green tunnel? Um, yes and no. Like, yeah, I, um, like, and sometimes it was very peaceful and... Um, you're just listening to the bird song and you can hear tree leaves falling and seeing all this like you can just be out in nature and it's very very lovely being by yourself and stuff like that but there's only so much of that and then there are times when actually you're just not having a good day and um, you have a lot of intrusive thoughts and you're like there are times when walking on your own on the trail feels like you're getting peace from everything else and there are times when it feels like okay it's just you and you're your thoughts that you're left alone with and sometimes that's not nice because uh, you're out there for so long there's plenty of time for stuff to come up it's not like when you do a trail for a couple of weeks and you can plan for some consistency and how you're going to feel or think like when you're out there for six months it becomes your just day to day and if you think about how you'll feel for six months in your regular life that's how you'll feel out there you'll have good days you'll have bad days You'll have times where you're coping with something. and When you say you've got intrusive thoughts, you mean things, you start thinking about things that you really want to put out your mind, don't you? Mean? Oh, that, yeah, everything comes up, like, because, because you're stripping everything away from your regular life, all you've got to think about is getting fed, getting somewhere to sleep and walking. 
you don't have all of the distractions that you have in your regular life about, you know, trying not to work on time and paying bills and socialising and like and fitting in your hobbies and, you know, doing your laundry. Well, you do have to do laundry on trail, but like, <laughs> you know, um, life becomes more simpler and you get a lot more time to yourself. And so your brain and your mind just, you know, you mull over everything. Like, it's very common. I spoke to a lot of people who experienced the same thing. In fact, I don't think I met anyone who didn't experience this at some point on trail where just like you start remembering memories you haven't thought about in years. You start thinking about people from your past that you've not thought about in years. You, you, lots of, you just get to dwell basically, dwell on everything or dwell on lots of things and, and that can be really, really positive because you have all of these lovely memories of lovely times of lovely people or things that had a positive impact on you. And, and you can think, yeah, you know, I've not thought about this in a while. Why have I not? This is a really good thing that happened to me. I'm really happy. But then also all of the other stuff, stuff you don't like, you know, embarrassing or humiliating things in your past or stuff that was really, really tough relationships wise or, or just things you just quite frankly don't like about yourself come up just because yeah you have all of that time to think and yeah on trail quite often I would hike with other people and I'd be talking with them the whole time I'd hike by myself and I'd listen to music or listen to podcasts or audiobooks or but there's a lot of time to just think and feel and because of that sooner or later yeah you, you come across like it, it kind of feel, felt like a spring cleaning for my mind in a way because but it's good, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yes, as you say, it's good to dwell on good things. But it's also, as you say, good to dwell on yeah. bad things and spring clean them. Okay, that's yeah. done. That it, wasn't good. It felt like, uh, yeah, like a lot of processing, a lot of stuff. Maybe stuff that you thought you had processed, that actually it turns out you've not processed as much as you thought you'd had. You end up processing out there. And like... There were a lot of times when it got a bit too much and I was like, I would like to just have a normal, nice day walking in the woods. I would not like to process anything or like, okay, I'm sort of done with dwelling on this. And like, it's, it's a weird one because <sighs> hiking trails has this, uh, this romantic idea around it of like, you'll go out there and you'll process lots of things like in stuff like a lot of people have heard of the Pacific Crest Trail because of the film and book Wild with Reese mm. Witherspoon. And, you know, she goes out to trail because she's a recovering heroin addict who's just gone through a divorce. And, like, so there's this, like, reputation that's built up around trails, like how rep this reputation of travelling, going yeah. out there and finding yourself and exploring yourself and all of this, you know, you know mushy stuff. And it's true. Um, but, like, you don't necessarily finish the process out there. Like I remember being out there and processing stuff or dwelling on stuff or being haunted with stuff and thinking like, okay, I'm ready to find some resolution now. And the resolution just isn't coming. And I'm thinking like, okay, maybe me going out and hiking this trail isn't enough to deal with these things. Maybe when I get back home, I need to look into therapy or I need to do other stuff other than just walking and dwelling every day. And like, I said to me, me and me and my friend Mark were talking about this a lot actually on trail because this was just somebody you met. On yeah, trail. someone yeah. who I bonded with on trail a lot. Like we were talking about this because, like I mentioned, a lot of people. That's one saving grace. You meet a lot of people who also have the same sort of thing, and 
if you go close enough to people to feel like you can be honest about it you realize that actually a lot of people are experiencing the same sort of thing mm. me and mark were talking about this and how like yeah you'll learn a lot about yourself on trail but you might not necessarily like what you learn no. and uh and that can be cause for alarm and or not alarm but it can make you uncomfortable and like ultimately now i think it was a net good thing i feel like i've processed a lot of stuff or i have a lot of or a lot of direction so to speak there was a lot of times when i felt like the trail was very diagnostic like okay i'm dwelling on all of these things i'm realizing what the problem is but i'm not getting resolution i'm not getting answers on them or like just memories which aren't very nice are just not leaving me alone and just dwelling on them is not enough to fully process and digest them so like it felt like okay i'm understanding what the problem is more and more in more detail but it felt like okay maybe this isn't enough and i feel like a lot of people have an idea that it is enough they'll go on the hike this trail and they'll mm. discover themselves and they'll have all this introspection and that'll be enough and it is to a large extent for some things but it also isn't always like stuff follows you like a lot of people me included i felt like trail would solve a lot of things for me and that it didn't i mean it certainly helped but it didn't you know i didn't finish the circuit i've still got work to do on those things you know i, I got towards near the end of trail realizing that yeah i don't have it all figured out i don't have you know resolution does anyone, <laughs> does anyone ever and that, that's what i'm finding comfortable turning 30 and getting a little bit older now of like yeah i mean people in their 60s who still don't know what they want to quote unquote do with themselves and yeah i i noticed that there's a lot of stuff that just sort of if you go out there with a lot of problems that you need to work on thinking that that will be the silver bullet it won't it will follow you and um that's how i felt about it at least and how people in similar shoes to me felt and um i in my position with my predicaments and my stuff that i have going on it was fine like i could hike the trail and i could do all those things and go through all of that um and then you know but like yeah i think if you had stuff that wasn't mine like if you had serious stuff that you needed to address via therapy that like I, I could I don't know I'm really talking out of thin air now but I I can imagine like if I had different things to work on or different issues maybe hiking the trail is not the right thing but like for me yeah it did a lot and for everyone I met it did a lot and sometimes doing a lot was very very challenging at points and uh yeah a lot of introspection yeah there's good there's bad there's ugly i guess i think yeah. a lot of the time though we don't reflect yeah you know you just as you said life is in the way and you're just doing this 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 and the next yeah bit. yeah and then everything comes crashing down because you haven't had any time to yeah reflect mm -hmm. yeah it is good you you describe it as net good overall <laughs> Yeah. net good which is quite an interesting term yeah because i i yeah like i like i say there there are some things that I, I feel like okay hiking the trail has not resolved hiking the trail has not given me answers or, or you know solved all my issues in this romanticized idea that i had that it might it's not it but it's helped now if if i haven't cured something i've understood it better mm. And in understanding it better, sometimes it was real 
it was stressful. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, okay, I don't want to dwell on these things anymore. I'm out here having the trip of a lifetime. I've put a lot of effort and planning and money into being here. I'm in a really beautiful location. I would like to just have a nice walk in the woods and not have to 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 be haunted with these like things, you know. Um, but I think overall, yeah, it's had a had a positive because all of that dwelling and introspection or whatever you want to call it, I think I'm reaping the rewards of the rewards of Lowe's coming back into my regular life of, of stuff that you know I thought about a lot and now they just don't bother me anymore because I thought about it a lot and I'm getting distracted in my regular life. They're not bothering me as much as before or like there's a lot of stuff that maybe I just don't really care about as much anymore as I used to or being out on trail and being you know um dwelling on them a lot has made me realize like oh I can sit with these things for a while and have my mind be occupied with stuff that I don't want it to be occupied with and actually it's it's at the end of the day I am fine I come out the other end and, and you know it's not the end of the world to let these things consume you and yeah so I think it's had this huge positive impact that I'm like feeling going back into my regular life of being able to prioritize what's important and what I want to work on or yeah if that makes sense I don't know I feel like it's helped me get my house in order even if there's stuff I've still got to work through if that makes sense yeah. like it's helped me you know I've got a messy desk in my bedroom. I've taken everything off the desk and I've put it back in a way which is neat and tidy. And in order to do that, I had to pick up everything on the desk and look at it and then put it down and then look at it again as I put yeah. it back. And so those things, some things are on the desk that I don't want to be on the desk, but, you know, it's neat and tidy now and organised, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah completely. Yeah. 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 It's a start. A start, yeah. It sounds like you really thought deeply about it. And as you say, it's made you come back, rethink and carry on, and you're now able to deal with life. Since you've come back, what would you say, reflecting on that trail, would you say was some of the best bits about having been on it? Oh, that's like people ask me that, and I find it so hard to answer. People often ask, like, okay, what was the most beautiful part of the trail, or what's your favorite part of the trail, favorite memory? And I, it's just hard. I feel like I have a bouquet of answers for all of them. Like, if you ask me what was like the best bit of the trail, I can think of several memories and several points where I'm like, that, that's a fantastic memory. And I don't know how to order them in some sort of like, you know, order of, you know, hierarchy of which one was the best. But what was your question again? Sorry, which was the best part of the trail? Which was the fate? What was... It wasn't the part. It was what the, just the best things about having done the trail. Having done the trail. Um, I mean, you've, you've said about reflecting and it's made you clear your desk and put your desk in order. Yeah, there's that. Um... I think the physical challenge, because yeah. I think until I finished the trail, right up until the point where I could even see the finishing point in front of me, 50 odd metres, there was a part of me which believes I would not finish. Because <laughs> yeah. it's such a momentous task and you, like it sounds crazy in my head and like part of me believes I haven't done it. I have to convince myself when I think about yeah. it, like, no, no, I did do that. Um, there was this part of me that was just had this huge imposter syndrome going on. 
of like, why am I here? Am I sure I can do this? Am I really, well, okay, don't think about that. Just put one foot in front of the other and see, you know, just have a nice walk in the woods and see where you end up in a few days' time and, you know, taking it one day at a time. I think, yeah, so that sense of self-esteem and confidence is definitely... And that achievement, yeah. Yeah, that sense of achievement and that, like, it's 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 helped me, you know, that in that way, like, I, I've come away from it being able to think about challenges a bit more different. Like, I, everything now I just instinctively break down and, like, okay, don't think too far ahead. Like, think far ahead in a non-serious planning way. So, like, have some ideas, but, like, don't beat yourself up about, like, oh, I've got to have a plan for the future or, like, plan for the few days at a time. It's, like, definitely something... Like that sense of confidence that I've taken away from the trail, the the I I just loved the lifestyle of being on trail. I'd done trails before, just never as big as this. And um, one thing that gave me confidence when I started, when I felt like okay, I think I've got a good chance of finishing, is because I'm not someone who wants to grip my teeth and bear it until I'm done. I do genuinely just really like that sense of lifestyle that you have out on trail. It feels like such a luxury that. All you have to worry about is feeding yourself, getting yourself fed, watered, finding somewhere to sleep and making miles every day. How many miles is up to you? Like you could have a relaxing, leisurely day or you could have days where you really challenge yourself. Don't let anyone tell you which way to do it. It's up to you. Um, that lifestyle of just getting up in the morning, packing down and, and, and walking through some beautiful areas and and just all I have to worry about is putting one foot in front of the other and feeding myself and getting water like like back to basics worries like mm. not distracted with emails or doing something else for somebody else's terms like at work or anything and and yeah and the sense of like carrying everything you need on your back is a very liberating feeling I really love that sense of adventure of like literally everything I have right now is in this bag that's on my back and that's all I need and I'd have, yeah, it feels like a sense of independence. It's just really, it's just a really lovely, like, day-to-day. -day. It's a day-to-day -day that I really like. And there were times when I didn't like it because, like, the weather would be terrible or, like, I hadn't slept for a few days or hadn't slept well for a few days. Or there were times where it wears you down mm. and you're like, okay, I don't want to be here at this point. But that's, I mean, if you're out anywhere doing that for six months, you're going to feel that way at some so point. So how, how did you get through that when you had difficult days? how did you get through that because it's not just difficult physically it's difficult mentally as well yes, isn't it so yeah. how did you get through those difficult days perhaps you could describe one of the most difficult days um so i think the the, the main thing um like when it was difficult in terms of weather often you just cut the day short so like I think there was one time when I was in New Jersey and I had this idea that I would do 24 miles in one day but I came across a shelter at lunchtime and I'd only done 11 miles so far and it was one in the afternoon but in having my lunch in the shelter it started to rain and then I got it you know quickly packed up put everything in the shelter and it was just and it was chucking it down and it wouldn't stop and I, I had some signal on my phone so I looked at the weather forecast and it was due to storm for the rest of the day and that day I just stopped there. I was umming and ahhing with myself about whether or not I gripped my teeth and bear it because part of me really wanted the satisfaction of having done those 24 miles and got into that point you know getting to point b from point a and so I was 
to and fro in a little bit of like do i don't i but then like it got to three in the afternoon and i was like no no i'm going to suppress the ego here <laughs> i'm going to tell my ego where to go and just you know be a bit leisurely and let myself do that and and, and then yeah and so like that that's that was one particular day which was hard in terms of the weather um that's a way of dealing with it but the good the good thing about the at or the the reason why so there are other trails on my list which are as long if not actually longer than the at but off my trail hiking bucket list i wanted to do this one first and a lot of people have the same reasoning as me my mountain trail because logistically speaking the at is very easy there are towns every three or four days right every few every at least every other day you go across a road from which you could stop and hitchhike into a town with there's water sources everywhere because it's really rainy on the east coast you're going oh like it's like it's not like you're never in a desert or anything like that like you've always got a water source within a few miles of you like just on the trail because you're going to go over a stream and um so on the days when you and your friends who you're hiking with maybe wanted to do 24 but it started to rain and then when you started to talk about it and you actually realize everyone's feeling the same way as you that this is absolutely pants right now we're all tired we're all we all just can't be bothered today yeah if you've got the money it's possible to just have a spontaneous rest day or a spontaneous near rest day where people are okay we said we're going to do 25 miles we've only done 11 or 12 but there's this hostel down the road it's 20 quid a night let's just go and you have to have the money to be able to do that because that adds up for six months having a spontaneous night inside every now and again does add up you know hostels were like 20 or 40 quid a night hotels are more like 80 quid a night in these motel type things that they have in the u.s i mean the more people you had the cheaper it was in those situations because quite often we'd get like one hotel room with two queen beds and we'd just fill it with hikers so like i you know we'd have like six or seven people in one room so two people to each bed and other people on the floor and that would really bring down the cost but still it still adds up Mm. so like you have to be sparing with that and like there were times when we would have those feelings and think like, oh, I just can't be bothered today and we're all feeling run down. But there'd be like a shelter. And now along the AT, every like, so every few miles right now, how every miles? Along the AT, there are these wooden shelters. They're like three walls and a roof. Yeah. So like with the out facing. So it's very basic. And they're like pretty regular. Like quite often I would sleep in one. So wake up in one hike come across one for around lunchtime and stop at one for lunch and then continue to hike and find another one to sleep in in the evening so like every five to ten miles there'd be a shelter different sections of the trail are managed by different organizations they're all under the umbrella of the appalachian trail conservancy but like in you know north carolina there'll be like the north carolina appalachian trail mountain club or something which with volunteers takes care of these shelters and these compost loos that are at the shelters and you know keeps the cuts the overgrowing rhododendrons that are like you know making the trail you know it keeps the trail clear um so different clubs how did you manage about loos and showers oh you have a spade you dig a hole 
Right. Um, well, there's what they call what we would call compost loos in the UK and the in the US. They call them privies. Um, there are like at these they were at the shelters quite often. But for example, like Tennessee had no privies for some oh. reason. The Tennessee Appalachian Trail Mountain Club, whatever it's called, they didn't build any privies. So right. they had all these showers, but there's no privies. But yeah, you take a spade or you take a trowel with you. You dig yeah. a hole, and, and that's how you use the loo. And uh, some people I knew, I knew about two people who they only dug two or three holes the entire trail. And I don't know how they did it. They only used the privies, Gosh. and um, they just refused to dig a hole. And I, so they ended up holding it, I guess. But like, for me, <laughs> I just couldn't do that. It's it's ridiculous. Well, you're doing a lot of exercise, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah. And what about showers and washing? I mean, you said there were lots of streams and that. You just had to wash so cold water in these streams? I, I never did that. Um, showers and laundry you mainly do in town when you go into town to resupply or at a hostel. And so when it comes to dirty laundry and being dirty, you just put up with it. So, so for like a week at a time? Yeah, I went like a whole week or two weeks without shower or laundry. Yeah. I think I didn't count the most days I did it. Thing is, it used to be a lot harder for this sort of thing. I met a couple of people who were just out walking their dogs or in a car park supplying hikers with free food who had done the trail before, but in like the 90s. And they'd tell you these stories of like, yeah, I think the most I went was I went 51 days or 47 days without a shower or laundry and stuff because like the trail like i said it being so popular it's built up over the years doing the trail today this year or next year there'll be hostels and facilities there that just weren't there 30 years ago and so yeah i think i think a lot of hikers who have hiked the trail back in the 80s or 90s will probably look at us and say we're spoiled today for like all these hostels that have been built up along the trail and such but yeah i um yeah i i never wash my clothes in a stream just because at the start it would be too cold like mm. they wouldn't dry in time and then by the time you get to the warm months in the middle of the trail it's warm but it's also really humid so nothing dries this was the real this this was one of the conditions i hated the most which i found the most challenging it's like you get sweaty like you really sweat buckets um, but the sweat does not dry because the air is humid it's moist there's nowhere for the moisture to go to to do yeah Yeah, so when you get drenched in your own sweat you stay drenched in your own sweat and so you can't really so yeah sure you could drench your t-shirt in a stream and wring it out but then you're just going to have it's going to be wet either way and a lot of hikers might not like you because that stream might be where people are also getting water so like you have to a lot of like the 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 conservancies like the 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 trail groups and you know volunteer groups that you know spread all this information about you know how to take care of tick bites and you know bears and stuff they also say you shouldn't wash yourself or your clothes in water sources because other hikers want to drink out of them they don't want to drink your sweaty water or sweaty clothes especially clothes as well because a lot of this is synthetic material so like if you wash enough people do it like the microplastics will build up over time in in these areas so the idea is you don't disturb uh, according to the american model of conservation and how to be in the wilderness at least is that you just you don't disturb it any more than you need to Mm. and you leave it as is so yeah don't wash your a lot of people i know actually wash their feet and water sources at the end of the day but we weren't supposed to do it 
but yeah don't go washing your clothes and stuff in in there because no. yeah i mean not only the microplastics but yeah the salt content of the stream will just build up over time with everyone's sweat in there but so yeah you, you tend to just put up and shut up and like deal with it until you get into a into a to to a hostel with laundry or a town where there's a laundromat and um, a lot of places have what they call loner clothes so they have they've gone down to the charity shop and they've got this amalgamation of lots of different clothes so whilst you're washing your clothes you can then put on these what they call yeah clothes that they loan to you because a lot of people don't take spare clothes because of the weight i didn't Mm. do that i had one pair of clothes or one set of clothes the entire time i had one t-shirt one pair of shorts i had two pairs of socks and a spare pair of underwear because i feel like you know your, your sock like it's good to have two pairs of socks in case your feet get soaked and then in the evening you can wear some dry socks and the same with underwear, just like those things I wanted to have a spare. But yeah, I had one t-shirt, one pair of shorts, one fleece, one puffy jacket, one hat. And so if stuff gets sweaty and you want to wash it, you don't have something to change into. So a lot of these places offer loaner clothes, which yeah, is nice. well organised, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, which is quite, I was quite grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. I you had, did you get any sores on your feet on oh. all that walking? yeah yeah totally i i fortunately didn't get any blisters a lot of people got blisters i didn't get any blisters i was wearing like there are these socks which are quite popular you know how like the old-fashioned way of preventing blisters is just wearing two pairs of socks because then one yeah you can get double layer socks yeah i've got a pair of those so i was wearing yeah layered socks like a lot of people wore these from a brand called injinji where that you have this thin layer sock yeah. inner sock and that's also got toe boxes as well so your yeah. toes don't rub together so i didn't get blisters but um your feet do get rather sore and lots of people do get blisters at some point my worst one um was trench foot a lot of people are talking about for trench foot because there are times when because of all the rain and because of all the mud and the puddles you just can't help but get wet feet you've got to do river crossings as well now often on river crossings i would take my shoes and socks off go across in barefoot and then dry my feet on my shirt when i got to the other side and then put my dry shoes and socks back on but there are sometimes especially when it's absolutely bucketing it down there's loads of like the trail can just be completely waterlogged with mud and like you it's pretty impossible or i would be incredibly pre- impressed if i met anyone who's done the trail or done a significant portion of the trail who has not had wet feet at some point you're going to get drenched feet and so then having drenched feet and drenched sharks you hike in those all day you get to the end your skin is rather slimy and rather loose and it's like exfoliation but to the extreme right and so there were times when one time in vermont where a lot of my skin peeled away um but maybe a bit too soon than it should have and it, like it's not like i got cuts from that but the skin the layer that was left was very baby skin and um the soles of my feet were very very sensitive and so for a couple of days of walking in vermont the rubbing on the bottom of my feet was very painful or very uncomfortable because like my skin was just it like it had been filed away red yeah. raw basically and the skin was very thin and was just sore and raw and then i got to a town and um I put a lot of moisturizer cream on there and I, I needed some new shoes anyway. So I went to the shop and I spoke to the 
people in the shop and they suggested some shoes that would not rub as much because the shoes they said that was having were quite spacious inside giving a lot of room for my feet to move around and thus rub so they suggested some tighter shoes and so i, I put on a load of compedes on my on my lower my sole of my foot and wore these new shoes and they were fine after a few days but yeah that was about the worst time for me on my feet yeah the trench foot yeah sounds horrendous i'm going to stop here just a second to give us a cup of tea yeah so after you recovered from these sore feet and everything and finally yeah. finished yeah um the trail how, how did you feel oh really weird <laughs> really 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 weird um a lot of feelings a lot of mixed feelings um yeah when i when i so it finishes on mount katahdin in uh, baxter state park in maine and there's a sign there and it's quite an iconic sign everyone who finishes the trail going northbound mind who finishes it there everyone gets a photo with the sign and um you know on a lot of paraphernalia or photos or pictures to do with the trail paintings people make or whatever like this, this sign features and so I like as soon as I touched this sign, I started crying. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just—it's like a wooden. Um, I don't know how to describe it right now. I don't have the words. It's a sign that you can. Um, it's not just pegged into the ground. It's like um, a bit like a. Um, what's the word? It looks like a soaring bench. You know, it's oh, got right. these, it, it opens out and it, it's, a, it's a triangle or triangular shape. So it's got four legs which spread out. And so it's got ladder. It's got steps of a ladder on the back. So a lot of people climb up on the back, just a few steps and have their stand. Their, their standing on the sign and like you can stand in front of it. And like I, I, I got there and I, 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 I touched the sign at the start and I just sort of leant on the sign with my elbows on the sign and my face in my hands and I cried for a bit. And um and then I sat down by it, by the sign, and it felt so strange. It felt like because obviously, I, building up, I built up to that for six months that I was hiking, mm. but it didn't just start six months ago. I thought about it for years. I first had the yeah. idea, like, because it's been an item on my bucket list. It's been a dream of mine. Like, yeah, like I, it, I, I'd only met one other person who did the trail, like one person who did the trail on a whim, who'd only heard about the trail and then just went just because in his life and the money situation or whatever his situation lined up that he could do on a whim. Yeah. But nobody else I met does it on a whim because you can't, you know, how, how often can you take six months out of your life and spend that much money? And yeah. So everybody plans it and some people plan it further in advance than others. Like, and for me, it was five years that I'd been thinking about it. And as soon as I heard about the trail, I wanted to go because <laughs> yeah. it's such an exciting thing and it really motivates you. And you're like, Oh my goodness that is that that that's i want to go do it and i want to go do it now and obviously you can't because you have to plan for it and so part of me has had this itch that i've been wanting to scratch for five years and when you're on trail yeah you're scratching that itch but part of you is always thinking in the back of your mind about finishing and like will i make it and will i not make it how would that be what if i trip i fall i hurt my ankle i need to get off trail and it's over like that mm. and that like that and that would be a really crushing feeling for me like and everyone a lot of people i met were like yeah no, i i, I couldn't like yeah it, it, it's this worry that like nags at you a bit and then so when you finally finish the trail and you tap the sign it's confirmed you have indeed done it and it's it's over and it felt like for me there was this tension that had been building up in me for the past few weeks 
Like, and it's it felt like very it always been there in me, just distant. Like when I started the trail, it was there, but I didn't think about it. It was just distant. But as soon as I entered Maine, the last state, there's fourteen states you walk through, and the last is Maine, and then you've got two hundred and thirty something miles left, or just over two hundred miles. I forget the exact number. And since then, I started counting down. Like, oh, I've got a couple of hundred miles left. I've got a few weeks left, and it felt like there was this knot in me that would not untie until i touch the sign i get there and then i get to this the end i touch the sign and it, it unties as part of me which just goes pop because i've like okay and the tension is just released and like okay yes i have actually done it and i i just and like i mentioned earlier like oh, like i had some really challenging moments on trail a lot of introspection a lot of personal you know dwelling and, and thinking about stuff and i also think about like how it took me five years to get here and for the all those years those years that i was those four or five years that I was planning on doing this, I was thinking about that moment. I was like thinking about how would I feel when I finally achieve this? Like, yeah. And, and you're there and there in that moment of like, oh my goodness, I've done it. I've actually done it. And I spoke to people who didn't have it like that. There are moments like this. It's like one of those moments where like when it's happening, you don't really process that it's happening until afterwards. That happened for plenty of people I met, but plenty of people had it like me where they were really present at the time. And, it's not uncommon a lot of people i knew everyone i hiked with who was in my party who i'd hiked for hundreds of miles with on that day who was summiting with me everyone cried had the same sort of experience as me of like touching the sign and there's just like all this tension is released and like you sit down and you're like oh my gosh like these waves of relief are rushing over you it's relief to have done it it's also mm. excitement that you've done it it's sadness that it's over it's disbelief I remember coming down from the mountain and and seeing the, the, the way marks on the trail. You follow these white lines the entire time. They call them blazes in North America, what we'd call way marks over here. And I remember like to get off the mountain, you come back down the way you came. So you redo part of the trail going south and then you come, you take the side trail down the mountain and you go into a car park. And then from there, you, I got picked up by a friend who had a car with him, but I remember being on trail for the last few hours and being like, this is it, it's coming to an end and really trying to savor the last few moments on trail. And I remember again, tearing up when I got to the car park and like touching the last few way marks being like, this is like, cause the, the entire six months, all you have to, you have, you're looking for a way mark. Yeah. A lot. You're looking for a way mark. And, um, so you, uh, and that's what you follow. And then so like coming off trail and like being like, okay, this is the last few way marks. And I touched them on the tree or on the rock and then like coming into the car park and like, that is actually it. I've like been on this for six odd months and I'm out the other end now. There's this relief, but there's also this great sadness of like, well, what now? Yeah. <laughs> there is this sense of like, what do I do now? Um, but like at the time I was far too tired to think of that. At the time, it was just this relief of having done it. And um, a lot of people talk about post-trail depression or post-trail blues or post-trail sadness because you get really settled in this way of life or settled in this way of thinking, like you're working towards a goal. Mm. And all you have to think about is following these way marks and um, putting one foot in front of the other, getting fed, find somewhere to eat, you know, like what I was talking earlier on in the podcast. And um, 
and then suddenly that stops and your life has to go back to well quote unquote back to normal or it changes you re-enter like a lot of people on trail like if it's like joked about uh they refer to it as re-entering the matrix as a joke <laughs> like, you, you re-enter that you know the way of life that you had before or maybe you have a different like something about your life changes but the point is you go back to you know you need to work a job you need to you know you know mm. conventional quote-unquote way of life um normal quote-unquote way of life and um there is this real a lot of people struggle with adjusting and it's a hell of an adjustment i felt like i had it very good because after the trail i had one week left on my visa in the us and me and the people i had hiked with spent it together we went and we stayed at my friend's house in new jersey and then i went over to visit a friend in dc who i had hiked 600 miles on the trail with but unfortunately got separated from and then i went to montreal to visit my brother and i just yeah. stayed at my brother's house for three weeks and during that time three people who i'd hiked with came to visit me and that was yeah. really lovely but like being at my brother's i was able to just do nothing i thought about applying for jobs but my brother was like what are you doing if you apply for a job and you don't have a visa yet, you can't accept the job. Yeah. And like, if you like here, if you get a job, they're going to want you to start in two weeks. So until you have the visa, there's no point. Just my, my brother, like talked me down a bit. It's like, look, yeah. uh, dude, just relax. You can just be here and relax. You don't need to be productive. You don't need to be doing sensible things. You can just relax until your time. And that really allowed me to unwind slowly from the trail. I got to come off trail and, have friends visit me or visit stay with friends for a bit and like the social environment unwrapped slowly mm. like I wasn't like whereas some people I knew on trail they finish trail they come down from the mountain they stay in this town called Milanoke which is the town closest to trail closest to Mercatarden and that's where people stay and from there they go straight home and back into their regular life they 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 rent a car and go somewhere where there's or they go to Banga airport Banga's the town the biggest town i don't know if it's, it's the closest airport to the finishing point of the at bang is quite famous it's where stephen king lives and uh, mm. it's great. so a lot of people make their way to Banga and they fly home and then from there they're just back into real life instantly uh, a lot of people when i'm saying a lot of people most like 90 percent of the people i met on trail are north american most of which are right. american i've met a few canadians but like so a lot of people live in the us so they would get a flight back to their parents house where they were storing all their stuff and just be at their parents house where they grew up and like the the transition that sounds to me to be really sudden whereas yeah. me i unraveled slowly like we took a road trip down to my friend's house and spent a few days at his house and i got to go and see a friend in dc who i'd not seen in like 1200 like i've not seen like 1400 miles and but i spent and like it was really good to see them again and then staying at my brother's people came to visit me and like i did not have to go back into the responsibilities of having a job and paying rent also i was still somewhere new like i'd never been to canada before i'd never been to montreal i'd not seen my brother in three years it was good to just spend time with him mm. and just relax at his house. I did do a lot of relaxing because, like, the first week after trail, I didn't want to do anything. Yeah, I wanted you'd be to be exhausted. A, I wanted to be a couch potato. I wanted to just eat food and stew. And I did. I got to do that. And I got to go through, like, walks around my brother's neighborhood and in the local park. And just there was no pressures on me to do anything. And thus, I feel like I, the, the way I, I didn't intend I didn't wasn't conscious that I was doing it the right way or anything. It's just how it happened for me. 
but I think that was a really good way to unwind from the trail and like I don't think I got post-trail depression as other people did I still miss the trail now I missed it a lot after trail it's still like when I think about it enough my heart really churns like the, the nostalgia is very very strong for it and I do really miss it at points but I'm happy with what I've gone back into I'm happy to be back in Brussels rediscovering my like remake like linking back up with old friends and doing things and like I've got new stuff to occupy me that like is not so I feel like post-trial depression really hits like is likely to hit people who are going back to the exact same life that they had before especially if it's a life that they weren't particularly satisfied with and uh, they went to trail to get away from it but after trail they're just going back to it Mm. um and then it's really, really easy when you're going back to what is 100% familiar to just dwell on trail. What felt really adventurous, yes, challenging, yes, difficult, but also really exciting most of the time to go back to what now feels mundane. And for me, I skipped out on that because I got to stay at my brother's house. That's a new adventure. And I got to go back to Brussels and I was really excited. I was, that was actually spontaneous because I, I got my visa application for Canada I thought I might not even come back to Europe. I thought I might just stay at my brother's house and get a job and start living in Canada then, but the visa still hasn't come through. So I went back to Europe. I had a flight return flight booked anyway, because in order to get into the US, they like to see that you've got a return flight out. Um, yeah. So I had a flight booked back to Brussels anyway, and so I, I didn't rearrange it. I, I took it and I spent a week in Brussels visiting friends. I've got some friends around that sort of area. I had a friend in Paris that I went and stayed with for a while and a friend in Germany I went to stay with for a while. But in visiting Brussels for a week and realising that my visa wasn't going to come through for a while, I had some things to think about. And I thought, you know what, actually, being back here after doing the trail has reminded me why I loved living here so much. I wanted to leave because I found it hard to find work in my particular sector. But I thus I felt quite down in the dumps when I left I was really happy to leave it but coming back to it after having done the trail and feeling refreshed I remembered everything I liked about it and was like oh you know what if I'm going to go to Canada at some point next year I maybe my career is more stressed than it's worth or maybe it's not worth worrying about it this much I just need a job that pays the bills and so you know that can I can get by with and I'd really love to live my Brussels life for a bit longer and so that that's how I ended up coming back to Brussels but it was kind of spontaneous like that sort of like yeah you know I could move back here and I'd prefer that to coming back to Southampton and um whilst I wait for the Canadian visa so me coming off trail has unraveled in a way which still feels adventurous and still really excites me and satisfies me and there's a lot of nostalgia i feel like i'm rediscovering things from before like brussels but then also there's a lot of new stuff like seeing my brother's place in canada and now having these friendships in the us that i do want to go back to at some point and and this idea of starting a new life in canada after brussels yeah i've got things to preoccupy me and be excited about in the future in the near future and you make me feel like i'm doing something new and adventurous with my life still which means that like yes i miss trail but it doesn't doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't get me down it doesn't it doesn't really depress me in in the same way that it might depress that does get to some people and i like i can really imagine how it is um but yeah, I feel like I have this strong, strong nostalgia. I still talk with people from trail every day. 
we're still in touch on WhatsApp. We send each other voice notes a lot. We, you know, send each other photos of our regular life. That's really nice. To like, I, like, there are connections that I made on trail, which I feel like will be friends for life, and I will foster those connections and like put effort into maintaining them. And yeah, we'll go. For, we'll probably go for a while without talking in the future. But you know, there'll be long distance friends that I hope I will see in the future if I move to Canada and if they come over to see me or not you know it might be years before I see them again but you know you don't do all of that together and then just suddenly not be friends with them afterwards no I, I think true friends it doesn't matter how long you go without seeing them like you know Beverly that oh. I do this with you know we lived together for three years yeah and then I didn't I wouldn't see her from you know the most part of a year right and of course it way back we didn't have you know the regular phone calls you mm. had now or facetime but it is you know that friendship like i'll see her mm. and i might not have seen her for nine months and right. it's still like i just spoke to her yesterday yeah and i'm yeah, sure it'll yeah. be like that with trail friends just yeah, picking up where you left off yeah yeah absolutely i feel like if i saw them tomorrow it would feel like no time has passed mm. it's very weird and then also like having such an adventure together and experiencing that together People say you have your highest highs and your lowest lows on trail and the people who I've hiked the most with have seen all of that and I feel like that's a really, really bonding, binding experience of someone like, yeah, it's not just someone I know at work or someone, you know, I know on a surface level. You feel like you go deep with people who you have that experience with, I think, and yeah, that will glue us together. So it's pretty much changed your life. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I don't know how if I'd be able to describe like specifically what or how, but it's been such an impactful experience that it could not change my life in some way or another. And maybe as the years go by now, it will things will happen which will make me feel like the trail changed it in unexpected ways or like I'll be discovering those impacts as I go. And yeah, it's something to wonder about. Yeah. Hmm. I love I love the fact that you said it gave you a chance to unpack your mind and and repack it. Yeah. Um which was fascinating. What advice would you give to somebody else who maybe is undertaking not necessarily a trail but something out of their comfort zone like you did with the trail? Oh, I'm glad you asked because I've thought about that a lot. Um because before I did the trail I sought out a lot of advice from strangers on Facebook and Reddit. And a lot of people are very willing to give advice because if they've done the trail, they feel like how I feel now where they miss it and they have nostalgia for it. And they're very happy to have the opportunity to help people. So in terms of the trail, I got lots of advice from people and that made me think like, what would I give? What advice would I give to people or friends that I know might be interested in doing something like that? But then in terms of like big life things in general, specifically for the trail i know that's not the question you asked me but if i was to detail on the trail i would say the scariest thing about it is starting and there's always reasons not to go those are two big things which stick with me because last year there were reasons why maybe i should not have gone um i should have been looking for a job or i should have you know like there's i i realized 2023 was gave me i had the opportunity to go but i also had reasons why maybe i shouldn't go and i've heard this before from people who have done the trail it's like there's no such thing as a perfect year there's no such thing as a year where oh 
all of the arrows are pointing towards the trail now i have no you know, i have nothing to think about or because yeah you're, you're putting your life on hold for six months there's always reasons not to go it's just a matter of finding a year in your life when there are less reasons than others not to go mm. like i'd finished for me i'd finished university i was still on the job hunt my housing contract was coming to an end i didn't have a partner I, you know i don't have kids i don't have a partner I don't have a pet and i could and i was still unemployed and i had savings that my grandma left me and so i was thinking like okay now is a logistically convenient time it's not the best because you know it's not the most sensible because maybe i shouldn't travel right now maybe i should focus on get a job after i've finished uni but like the ground was fertile that i i, I could do something and so for me, I was like, okay, there's less reasons this year than previous years. Because yeah. previous years I had work, I had a degree. And now, yeah. like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so you have to find, yeah, years where there's less reasons than other years not to go. And then also, yeah, starting is the hardest thing, especially if you're coming internationally because you have to get a visa, which is difficult. Or, like, it's not that it's difficult in retrospect, but they really make you feel like it's difficult. Like, America is very protective and... The visa application process is long and a bit tedious and at every step of the way they make you worried that you're not going to get it and at least for someone in my position doing what i was doing coming from where i'm coming from with my background i in retrospect feel like it was relatively straightforward getting the visa but they ask you all of these questions and they make you prove everything like the money in your bank account the flight back the you know criminal background checks like they yeah, it felt like getting the visa was a big dubious process that was difficult and tedious and Kafkaesque. And then like booking the flights is really scary because yeah. it's a lot of money that you're spending there and then. And um, yeah, just all the prep and the fact that it's such a huge undertaking. You think, OK, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to put my life on hold for six months and I'm going to go and walk in the woods for six months. Like it, it, like when you get there and you get into the swing of things and you get into the, the way of doing it, when you get a few hundred miles under your feet, you're just in the, you, you know, you're just used to it. It becomes the new normal yeah. and you're just, you know, you're in the swing of it. You're in the rhythm of it. But starting it feels like a really mammoth task and you're like, oh, am I actually going to do that? And definitely starting it feels like mentally was one of the most challenging things about it. Like making that commitment and then spending all that money and, in you know, to buy the gear, to prep, to buy the flights, like... That was really nerve-wracking to begin with and a lot more nerve-wracking than anything on trail and yeah so starting it and is the hardest thing or one of the hardest thing and there's always reasons not to go and then in terms of like big life choices or big life changes like me and my ex deciding to move to brussels or going on traveling on other things i like i always felt nervous whenever i have done these things there's no such thing as not feeling nervous i mean maybe some people but like i imagine people out there who don't feel nervous about these things but i've never met them and um for me i've always felt nervous before doing big things like i felt really nervous when i left home to go to brighton to go to university i felt really nervous when i moved to belgium I felt really nervous when i went traveling I felt really nervous before starting this trail like for me it's after having a few going through those motions a couple of times where I felt really nervous before doing something big, I think now I've come to appreciate that I'm never going to not feel nervous. 
and that puts my nervousness into perspective. And so when I'm feeling nervous, I think like, okay, let's think about this rationally and see if there's any logic to my nervousness or if it's just nervousness because this is a big thing, which is perfectly natural. And then if I think about it and like, okay, the only thing I'm scared of is just the unknown and the fact that it's new and big. Mm. If there's like, you know, an actual financial risk or like something safety risk or like, you know, if there's, if I did like examine the nervousness in myself to look for something tangible that I should be worried about. Okay. I've found something now. Can I account for that via planning and, you know, as you do, but if it's just, if there's just nothing there, if it's just nervousness, cause like, Oh, it's a big thing. I've sort of learned to, you know, hold my nose and do it anyway and calm myself down and just say, look, okay, it's not, I'm nervous because it's a big thing, but obviously I'm going to be nervous, but like, don't take your nervousness too seriously. You're scared. Okay. You've got a bit of fear, but your fear is always going to be there. It doesn't mean you have to believe everything it's telling you or believe you have to, you know, you don't have to trust your fear, (laughs) like do it anyway. And then, you know, at least for me, like going go, go to Belgium, if it didn't work out, I could come back. I'm in a very fortunate position where, you know, my mum and dad live together, have a household with a room where I can come and I can stay with them. I've got a safety net. I'm in a fortunate position where I have this solid safety net in place. So for me, going to Belgium or going traveling, part of me is always thinking like, okay, if it doesn't work out, I can just come back and I can regroup. And I wouldn't want to do that. I don't want to move back in with my parents long term, but it would... I've got that safety net there and people don't have that. So like what I'm saying now might not apply to all listeners because they're not in the same position with me. No. You know what I mean? But like that, for me to answer your question, honestly, that's just, that's how it is for me. Yeah. Makes sense. No, I, yeah. I think that's really good advice. If you're nervous, try to examine why you're nervous. Mm-hmm. And as you say, plan for it. Yeah. Which aspects can you perhaps overcome? Yeah. That's a really good thing. And it is so important to have a safety net and that yeah you know that support network that you have for you it's family for other people it might not be yeah but it's crucial that all of us yeah have got that support network like me and my partner were a bit nervous one time like when we went traveling part of our traveling was we went to central america and friends flagged with us about like okay is central america a safe place to go to and we that made us nervous and then we examined it and we did a lot of googling and a lot of reading online and seeking out advice of a lot of you know advice from the canadian government from the different respective like doing all of the homework we could do around those concerns and then we realized through we we made the informed decision that it was safe to go you just have to be careful stick to the tourist trail you know don't trust this, trust that, you know, like mm. figuring out a way to do it to make it as safe as possible, exactly. but it was still perfectly safe to go, you know, but like, yeah, I think that's an example of like, like you say, examining the nervousness, coming up for reasons why, and then acting accordingly. Yeah. Mitigating. Yeah. Good life lessons for us. I, yeah, I suppose. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Liam. We're, of course. We're stopped there. It's been. Okay fascinating listening to it all um i think so and i wish you all the very best Thanks. never even got to talk about your times working with the refugees in greece we'll have oh, okay. to, maybe that's something we'll cover another time but thank okay. you very very much indeed is there anything you feel i should have asked that i haven't asked i cannot think of anything right now it feels like one of those situations where as soon as i walk out the door i might think of something but 
I doubt it at this time. I, I, I feel like we've covered everything and I can't think of... I, I can think of nothing, no. Good, thank yeah. you very much indeed. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Liam and you, our guests. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Thank you.